Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio podcast. A podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. This is my Match Day 2 review episode. In Part 1, I'll review the matches of the top four clubs at the end of the round. And in Part 2, I'll review the rest of the matches. Of course, I won't be reviewing Napoli's match because we already covered that last episode. So let's start with Lazio, who sit at the top of the table after absolutely pummeling Spezia 6-1. Spezia actually opened the scoring in the fourth minute. Emmanuel Giassi took on Francesco Acerbi 1v1 and got the better of him. He fired a hard shot on target, but the rebound fell right to Daniela Verde to tap into the empty goal. That play is exactly why Napoli fans were happy to see LCT Sai leave. Now, I know he was covering the middle because Lazzari got caught, but his side was marking no one, and he actually looked back and saw Verde open, but didn't pick him up. Unfortunately for Spezia fans, the match only got worse from there. Ciro Immobile scored his first of three straight goals only a minute later. Lazio were pressing high early, and it paid off. I believe it was Lucas Leva who won possession in the Spezia half before Pedro played a gorgeous through ball to Immobile. I thought Pedro had a really nice game. He was denied his first Lazio goal on a couple of occasions, and he won the penalty, so I think he deserved the goal. Immobile's finish was lovely too. That was a goal scorer's goal. For players like Immobile, they fare better when they don't have time to think, and their striker's instincts kick in. Immobile's second was a powerful blast from the edge of the area, from a lovely layoff by Alberto. Personally, I thought Joroenzot could have done better on that shot, but I suppose the ball was hit so hard that he didn't have too much time to react. Immobile completed the tripleta just moments after he missed a penalty kick. In fact, it was on the ensuing corner kick. 
With that tripleta, Immobile broke into the top 20 goal scorers in the history of Serie A, surpassing the likes of Roberto Mancini, Pipo Inzaghi, Gigi Riva, and Luca Toni. Felipe Anderson scored the fourth from a long ball delivered by Pepe Reina. Personally, I thought that was a dangerous play by Anderson. That foot doesn't need to make contact with the head for it to be a dangerous play. But credit to Anderson for the play he made there and for his performance in general. I think either him or Luis Alberto were the man of the match. Luis Alberto played an absolutely gorgeous through ball to LCT side in the fifth goal. Hisai scored only one goal during his entire time at Napoli. That's one goal in 223 appearances in all competitions. Meanwhile, it took him only two appearances to score his first goal for Lazio. That was Alberto's third assist on the night and he added a goal to top it off with a lovely strike from outside the area. It was great to see Raul Moro get an assist on that goal. 16-year-old Luca Romero got to play as well. I can sort of see why he's being compared to Messi. He has the long hair, he's left-footed, and he even runs like Messi does. A lot of people were saying that this was Sadi Ball at its finest. This may be a bit of a hot take, but I don't think this was Sadi Ball at all. Yes, they scored a lot of goals, but this to me was pretty far from Sadi Ball. We didn't see a whole lot of triangles. We didn't see a lot of one-touch passes. There was occasionally, and maybe Lazio are getting there. But in my opinion, that was not Sadi Ball. As far as Spezia goes, they were quite poor even before they got the red card. Once they got the red card, Spezia really didn't stand a chance, and Lazio spent the last half hour of the match or so playing keep away. The scary thing is, this could have been an even more lopsided match, but Eurowinzot made a number of big saves. Inter are second in the table after beating Hellas Verona 3-1. Ivan Illich opened the scoring after Samir Andanovic played a heavy pass out of the back. In my review of Inter's win over Genoa, I said the only weakness I see in this Inter side is in goal, and Handanovic certainly supported that claim with this pass. This was only the third goal Ilic has scored in Serie A, and now two of them have been against Inter. Lautaro Martinez scored the equalizer in his first match of the season. He was suspended for the Genoa match. This goal came from a throw-in set piece. Ivan Perisic played a long throw. At first, I thought Edin Dzeko flicked it on, but the ball actually came off of Martin Hongla under pressure by Dzeko. Lautaro was first to the ball to score his 50th career goal for Inter. Lautaro should have scored a second goal shortly after the goal from the exact same throw-in set piece. This time, Dzeko did get the flick on, but somehow Lautaro missed the goal. Lautaro's goal came only two minutes into the second half, which was a great way to start the half. Even though Inter created a few chances in the first half, they seemed a little bit off to me. Marcelo Brozovic and Nicolo Barella in particular didn't have their best performances. We even saw Barella lose his cool after getting fouled and get in the face of a Verona player. Obviously, the second half was much better and the star of the show was new signing Joaquin Tucucorea. He came off the bench and made an immediate impact, scoring two gorgeous goals. The first was a header into the top corner and the second was a shot from outside the area into the bottom corner. After Hakan and Dzeko each scored and assisted a goal in the Genoa match, Correa scored a doppietta in this one, so Inter's new signings are really making Simone Inzaghi and Beppe Marotta look like the geniuses they are. Last episode, I mentioned how scary Arturo Vidal can be off the bench. He started the play leading to Correa's first goal with a long ball down the wing to Matteo Darmian. Darmian was the standout player for me. He chased that ball down and played a perfect cross to Correa for the goal. Even when Inter weren't playing their best in the first half, 
Darmian stood out above the rest, particularly in the defensive half. He made at least three great tackles, two where he raced back and slid to block the Verona cross in the area, and the third was a tackle on Verona youngster Matteo Cancellieri to stop the counterattack. Darmian has played so well to start this season that another of Inter's new signings, Denzel Dumfries, finds himself sitting on the bench. Cancellieri had a decent match as well. He's only 19 years old, and he started over veteran forward Kevin Lasagna. I also thought ex-Benevento goalkeeper Lorenzo Montipo had a good match despite conceding three goals. He didn't have a chance on any of those goals, and he made a couple of big saves, one on Lautaro early in the match, and another on a rocket from Alessandro Bastoni in the second half. Moving on, Roma beat Salernitana quite comfortably. This one finished 4-0 on goals from Lorenzo Pellegrini, Jordan Vertu, and Tammy Abraham. The direction of play was pretty much one way for the entirety of this match. Salernitana set up shop in a 4-5-1 in their own half. They defended well and credit to them for lasting an entire half without conceding a goal. That may have given Salernitana fans false hope that they could take a point away from this match, though the home fans just seemed happy to be there regardless of the outcome. Credit to Roma for not letting that low block frustrate them. They patiently worked the ball around and still created their fair share of chances, some of which missed the target and others that were stopped by Vid Bellets. It was quite clear that Mourinho had prepared his players for that low block. They were spreading the play to stretch Salernitana and therefore to create space. We also saw some lovely one-touch interchanges, which is another effective way to break down that low block. Watching this match, you felt it was only a matter of time before Roma broke free, and that happened shortly after the restart. Pellegrini did really well to control the pass into the area by Matias Vigna before beating Belletz. It's hard to blame a keeper in a blowout like this, because whether he stops this shot or not, Roma are probably going to win the match. That said, at this level, that's a save the keeper needs to make. Pellegrini was shooting from a pretty sharp angle, and the shot was straight at the keeper. That opened up the floodgates, obviously down a goal, so Lernitana needed to get forward more, and that created more space on the field. Roma doubled the lead a few minutes later with a really nice goal. Again, we saw the one-touch play. Perez, Tammy, Mkhitaryan, Vertu, back of the goal, all single touches. Bellitz made a couple of nice saves in the second half, first on Abraham and then on Vertu, but there was nothing he could do to stop the third and fourth goals. Abraham scored his first goal in Italy with a gorgeous first-time hit off the upright and in, and Pellegrini scored his second of the match with a shot that curled inside the far post. Meanwhile, Salernitana did not have a single shot on target. If Salernitana wasn't owned by Claudio Lotito, I'd feel bad saying this, but we're only two rounds into the season and I'm fairly confident they'll be heading right back down to Serie B. Finally, Milan beat Cagliari 4-1. Sandro Tonali, Olivier Giroud, and Rafael Leao scored for Milan, while Alessandro Deola scored the long goal for Cagliari. Gennaro Gattuso was in attendance to take in this match, amongst a few other ex-Milan players, all sitting with another ex-Milan player, Paolo Maldini. Olivier Giroud was the standout player for me in this match. If you weren't convinced after Milan's opening match against Sampdoria that he was a great signing, then surely you're convinced now. He scored his first and second career goals in the Rossoneri. The first was a gorgeous goal. The run by Teo Hernandez was the key to this goal. He broke through the midfield with the ball, and then after passing to Brahim Diaz, he continued his run. That was really important because it pulled the defenders with him, which left Giroud wide open in the area. Brahim teed him up, and the finish was world class. 
Only pure strikers have the confidence and the quality to hit the ball first time and pick the corner like Giroud did. I mentioned this last week, but I really like the chemistry between Brahim and Giroud, and if the first two matches are any indication, Milanisti are not going to miss Hakan at all this season. Giroud's second goal was from the penalty spot after VAR confirmed that Kevin Struman stuck out his arm to block Brahim's shot in the area. I thought it was really funny that pretty much any time Giroud did something well in this match, the camera cut to Ibrahimovic in the stands. Ibra was clapping, but he had a very serious face, and as confident as Ibra is, I wonder if deep down he knew that he was watching his replacement play. The scary thing is Giroud probably could have scored 4 or 5 goals in this match. He had a wide open shot in the first half set up by Liao, but fanned on the shot. Liao can't be too upset though because earlier in the match Giroud set up Liao with a gorgeous backheel through ball and Liao blew that chance. He was 1v1 with the keeper but took so long to shoot that Andrea Carboni was able to make the sliding block. Liao did get his first goal of the season shortly after that though, after a lucky deflection off the back of Brahim. Giroud also could have scored a couple more had it not been for the play of Diego Godin, who was by far Cagliari's best player. He put on a clinic on defending in the area. He did everything from clean tackles to diving headers to flicks to redirect the ball out of play. Now, Giroud was not the only player to score his first goal for Milan in this match. Sandro Tonali was the other with a beautifully executed free kick. The internet was quick to point out that this goal looked identical to Andrea Pirlo's first goal for Milan, which is true, but I really dislike that comparison. They may look alike, but their styles of play are completely different. Other than Deola's goal, which was actually a very nice header to the back post, Cagliari didn't create a whole lot in the attack, and a win for Milan was never in doubt. That will do for part one. In part two, we'll cover the rest of the round. Let's continue with the rest of the matches. Believe it or not, Udinese are in 6th place after beating Venezia 3-0. Ignacio Pusetto, Gerard De Lofeu, and Nahuel Molina scored for Udinese. Early on in this match, it seemed like this one could go either way. Venezia played far more positively than they did against Napoli. The match was really open right from the opening kickoff, which meant lots of space in the midfield and chances at either end of the pitch. Venezia's best chance of the match came only 5 minutes in. Thomas Henry played Dennis Johnson through on goal. 
He tried to chip Silvestri, but the keeper got a hand on the ball and kept it out. After that, Udinese slowly took control of the match and began to create chances. The front three of Puseto, Roberto Pereira, and Tolge Arslan looked very good once again, as they did against Juventus. With the pressure mounting, it seemed only a matter of time before one of them opened the scoring, and that goal came from Puseto at the half-hour mark, assisted by Molina, who also had a very good match. This was a quality goal. Puseto controlled the ball in his chest and hit it first time on the half volley to beat Luca Lazzarini. Udinese had a number of chances in the match, but one thing Venezia did well was get bodies in the way of those shots. Mattia Caldara in particular blocked a number of shots. Udinese continued to push and added their second in the 70th minute. Gianluca Buzio made a costly turnover in a dangerous area, and Udinese pounced. De Lofeu laid the ball off to Arslan and followed the play, so when Silvestri made the initial save, Delofeo was waiting to put away the rebound. He's quickly becoming a bit of a super sub, having scored a goal in each of Udinese's first two matches, both times as a substitute. Molina added a third in stoppage time for good measure. The defending was poor on this play, but I imagine there was little desire left in Venezia, down 2-0 in stoppage time. The finish by Molina was excellent, off the bar and in, though I thought Rodrigo Bacal committed a foul on David Schneg in the build-up to the goal. So Venezia have lost their first two matches and like Salernitana, I suspect they could be heading back down to Serie B come the end of the season. Atalanta surprisingly drew Bologna 0-0 at the Giwis Stadium. There's not a whole lot to say about this match. I thought it was a rather lackluster performance from Atalanta. They didn't play with the same pace and intensity we're accustomed to seeing them play with, which made me think they could have really used Duvan Zapata for this match. The quality in their finishing was lacking as well. Atlanta had 14 shot attempts, but only 4 of them hit the target and a couple of those were straight at Lucas Skorupski. Skorupski was really only tested once, which was a powerful shot by Robin Gozins at the half hour mark. We've come to expect more from this Atalanta team and from players like Luis Muriel and Ruslan Malinovsky. We're probably just spoiled by them. We now expect Muriel to score every time he plays. Malinovsky was the main reason why Atalanta didn't miss a step when Papu Gomez left last season. He contributed 6 goals and 9 assists in their final 11 games of the season. So far in 2 games this season, he hasn't scored or assisted any goals and Atalanta haven't looked very good. They drew this match and were minutes away from drawing their opening match against Torino. Now, I see a lot of people looking at these results and writing Atalanta off. I would caution against that. It's possible they do drop off, but recent history tells us that we shouldn't read too much into a slow start from them. They've started the last couple of seasons slowly, and by the end of it, they were in the top four. In fact, they did so well that had they not started slowly, they could well have won the Scudetto. A quick comment on Bologna, they played well defensively, but offensively they created next to nothing. They seemed perfectly content to play for a 0-0 draw, which combined with their 3-2 win over Salernitana in round 1, has them sitting in 7th place. Sassuolo drew Sampdoria 0-0 as well, credit to David Ferrini for pointing out on Twitter that the last time Serie A had 2 0-0 draws in the same round, was on match day 18 of last season, which was 22 rounds ago. Nevertheless, this was a very entertaining match. I'd rather watch a competitive 0-0 draw than a game like Roma Salernitana, which had 4 goals, but one team was sitting back and defending for the entire match. The game was wide open, especially in the first half. Both sides had their chances at either end of the pitch. 
Filip Juricic looked really good for Sassuolo. He was often the player busting through the midfield and either taking a shot himself or setting up a teammate for a shot. I thought Jeremy Boga also played well. He showed glimpses of the player that turned a lot of people's heads, including mine two seasons ago. Meanwhile, for Sampdoria, Antonio Candreva had an excellent first half. He nearly scored twice in the first half, both on shot crosses, one that was stopped by Consili and another that rolled just wide of the far post. And then he did slow down a little bit in the second half, but that's to be expected at his age. But without a doubt, the man of the match was Sampdoria goalkeeper Emil Adauro. He made a number of big saves in this match. Only four minutes into the match, he stopped a hard shot by Juricic. Shortly after that, he stopped Raspadori, though that shot caught a little too much of the goal. A few minutes later, Omar Kali was unable to intercept Raspadori's pass for Caputo, so Caputo was 1v1 with Aldero, and the keeper made a great play to dive and knock the ball off Caputo's feet without committing a foul. Kali nearly gifted Caputo a goal in the second half as well with an errant back pass, but his palonetto finished just over the bar. Finally, later in the half, Aldero made another excellent save on a long-range effort from Boga. On the whole, I think it's safe to say that Sassuolo were the better side. I thought they would take a step back losing the Zerbi and certainly after losing Locatelli, but they seem to be doing just fine under Dionisi. They've now lost Caputo as well to this very Sampdoria team, so we'll see how that affects them. Moving on, Fiorentina beat Torino 2-1. Nico Gonzalez and Dusan Vlahovic scored for Fiorentina while Simone Verdi scored for Torino. Fiorentina were definitely deserving of the victory. They kept Vanya Milinkovic-Savic very busy in this match. Fiorentina only had 8 total shots in the match, but 6 of them were on target, and of those 6, 2 went in and 3 required important saves from Savic. In the first half alone, he stopped a header from Milenkovic on a corner kick, then he stopped a Cristiano Biraghi shot that took a deflection off of Andrea Bellotti, and after that he stopped a powerful volley by Jose Callejon. I thought there were some pretty intriguing player matchups in this game. One of them was Fiorentina's young signing Nico Gonzalez against Torino's Wilfried Single. Single had the size and strength advantage while both are very quick and Gonzalez is very technical. I think I'd have to give the edge to Gonzalez though for scoring a goal a few minutes before the half. Nico's footwork was excellent on this goal. He hovered at the top of the box waiting for Castrovilli's pass, took one touch to receive the pass, another to tee up the shot, and then calmly curled his shot around an outstretched Milinkovic-Savic to give Fiorentina the lead. The other intriguing matchup was Dusan Vlahovic against Torino's back line. Torino were marking Vlahovic very tight. As soon as he got the ball, they were all over him. But like Nico Gonzalez, Vlahovic won this battle as well, scoring a beautifully executed header to the back post. This play started with a Simone Verdi turnover to Duncan at midfield. Duncan played the ball out wide to Bonaventura who crossed to Vlahovic. We've seen Vlahovic do this before. He has the ability to lean back and wrap his head around the ball, which is hard enough to do on its own, but then to place the ball where he did, this was simply a world-class finish. That proved to be an important goal, with Fiorentina appearing to coast a victory. Verdi atoned for his error. Sasha Lukic played a lovely through ball to Verdi, and he caught Pietro Terracciano off guard, turning and shooting first time. Terracciano was in goal because Rangowski was sent off in Fiorentina's opener against Roma. So even though Torino really had no business being in this match, Fiorentina fans had to sweat for the final two minutes of normal time and the five minutes of stoppage time. Fortunately for them, Fiorentina held on for the win, which was their first win under new coach Vincenzo Italiano. 
Finally, Empoli beat Juventus 1-0 at the Allianz Stadium in Torino. Leonardo Mancuso scored the only goal of the match. Let's start with Empoli. I'm sure Juventini will feel like Juve lost this match more than Empoli won it, but I think Empoli fully deserved the three points. They didn't play scared at all. It's not uncommon for teams in the bottom half of the table to sit back against teams in the top half, but that's not what Empoli did. They just played their game even after they went ahead, they didn't change their approach. For me, Empoli's goalkeeper Guglielmo Vicario was the man of the match. He made three big saves on Federico Chiesa, all in the opening quarter of the match. I was also impressed with Empoli's front three of Mancosu, Cutrone, and Barami. Cutrone was a constant threat and he was generally very positive on the ball. Empoli nearly scored a second goal after the restart, after Cutrone won the ball from Alexandro in the Juve half, before laying the ball off to Nicolas Haas, but Chesney made the save. Of course, Mancuso scored the goal, he was a bit fortunate that the ball fell for him, but he had the composure to put the ball away, and that was not surprising to me at all. Mancuso scored goals for fun in Serie B, he scored 19 for Pescara in 18-19, then he moved to Empoli and scored 13 and 20 goals over the last two seasons. He may have been fortunate that the ball fell for him, but the play leading up to the goal was very well worked. Barami was the key, Marquiza picked him out in the middle of the park, Barami played a one-touch pass to Baldinelli on the wing, and then importantly he continued his run into the area, Baldinelli cut the ball back to Barami, and it was his shot that fell for Mancuso. The last player I think deserves credit is ex-Napoli player Sebastiano Luperto. Shout out to our friend Gaetano Solazzo for recognizing Luperto's performance. He more than held his own against the talented Juventus attack. Admittedly, I set the bar pretty low for Luperto, but not only did he not make any mistakes, he also made some pretty important tackles and clearances. The biggest play he made was a tackle on Dybala in the second half. If Dybala gets past him there, there's a good chance Dybala scores, or at the very least, tests Vicario. Now, we do need to comment on Juventus' play as well. I think the person that deserves the most criticism is Max Allegri. He made some very interesting choices with his squad, including playing Danilo over Manuel Locatelli as the regista and Weston McKenney as a sort of trequartista. He did get a couple of decisions right though, namely starting Chiesa and not starting Bernadeschi. Chiesa was determined to score, but like I said, Vicario foiled him a number of times. Dybala looked threatening as well, though he faded a bit as the match wore on, much like he did in Juve's draw to Udinese, but at least they tried. Other than Juan Cuadrado, who rarely has a bad game, no one else on this Juve squad seemed to realize that they were losing the match. Much like Andrea Pirlo's Juve squad last season, the team seemed to lack motivation, they lacked intensity, they lacked urgency, and most of all, they didn't seem to have a plan B when clearly plan A wasn't working. I'm sure the Ronaldo fanboys viewed this match as confirmation that Ronaldo was the difference maker. I know Ronaldo was in the squad for the Udinese game, but this was a much worse performance. At least in the Udinese game, Juve had a strong first half and between the posts and the disallowed goal, they didn't have luck on their side. In this match, they played poorly from start to finish. So that will do for this match day 2 review. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please leave us a rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forza Napoli Pod. I'll be back in a couple of days with another episode to give you my thoughts on Napoli's summer mercato, but until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli sempre!